Sophie, so glad you're able to speak and share with us this morning. Sophie has been part of the church for a good number of years. Uh, you might remember one of her projects a few years ago, the water bottle project on the trees for the homeless. It's a great project. Now a student at Exeter University. And let's pray for her. She comes to share God's word. Father, we thank you for this precious woman of God. And we pray that as she shares, that she will know just the freedom of the spirit as she brings your word to us. And give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Is this better? There we go. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Um, cool. So I just wanted to talk to you guys about um, something that I feel God has been really speaking to me recently about um, in my life. And I think it's something that's so applicable to every single person in here. Um, and that's the call to be salt in this earth. Um, and I wanted to just read from Matthew. Matthew 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, I think the call to be salt is such a challenging one because it requires us to be so, so different um, and to stand out from people around us. Um, and actually, like, to be different, like, you need to be completely transformed by Jesus. Um, and I just kind of wanted to unpack, like, what that means a little bit. Um, and when I first started thinking about salt and things like that, like, to me, like, salt wasn't a very exciting thing. It's like, God, like, why am I salt? Like, it's so boring. Like, it's small. It's really insignificant. Like, you can get it anywhere. It's super, like, yeah, there's nothing exciting about it. Um, but as I was kind of learning about it, I realized, actually, salt in Jesus' time wasn't what we understand it to be today. Like, salt in Jesus' time, it was something super valuable. In the early Roman Empire, actually, salt was, it was like a really, really priceless thing. Like, soldiers were paid in salt instead of money in some cases. Like, Salt was something that had such high value, like there were wars over salt. And I think from Jesus' understanding, when he's speaking to us and saying that we are called to be salt and we are the salt of the earth, like, actually, we're super valuable. Like, he's saying, you have so much worth, you have so much value. Um, and I think that's, like, we find it in him, like, when we are called to be salt. He's saying, like, in me, like, when you're living in me, when you're living differently, like, that's where you find your value and that's where you're going to find your worth. Um, so I just wanted to open with that and like encourage you guys, like when Jesus calls you salt, it's not a small thing, it's not a boring thing, like he's saying you've got so much value and so much potential um, and he's calling that out in you. Um, and the thing that I wanted to talk about um, with regard to salt is like, it's meant to make people thirsty, so when people see you and when people see Jesus in you, like it's meant to make them thirsty, like they're meant to look at you and be like, well, like what is it that they've got that I don't have, like I want that. Um, and, like, we're called to live in a way that makes people want that. Um, I just wanted to share a story that I heard when I was on Mercy Ships this summer from someone. Um, and Mercy Ships, for those of you that don't know, is this charity organization. They have big hospital ships, and they sail around to places in the world where people can't afford healthcare, and they give it to them for free. Um, and when I was on there, someone told me this story um, about a man, and the man was called Mustafa. And Mustafa had heard about Mercy Ships, and he really, really needed this surgery. He was really ill. And he'd walked for days and days to get to this ship because it was his only hope. Um, and upon getting there, he went in and he got triaged and people looked at him. And he was told, I'm really sorry, we can't do anything for you. And like, I just want you to imagine, like imagine being Mustafa right now. Like imagine having walked for days and this is your last hope and someone's just taken that away from you and said, I'm sorry, we can't do anything. 
And he was told this and he was devastated. But afterwards, he, he went and spent some time with the chaplaincy team. And they sat with him that afternoon. And they spent hours and hours just listening to him and hearing his life story. And he was a Muslim. He'd grown up in a Muslim country. Um, and he was just explaining his life to them and telling them about, you know, everything that had gone on and everything he'd been through and just talking about how desperately he needed this surgery and couldn't have it. Um, and at the end of that time, actually, the team on Mercy Ships weren't able to help him practically. They couldn't do anything for him, but because of the way that they conducted themselves and because of the way that they were able to share Jesus with him just in their actions and in how they were with him, he actually became a Christian and he asked for prayer and he came to know Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, like, when we live like this, like when we live for Jesus and when we show people Jesus, regardless of what we can do necessarily, like they couldn't help his physical circumstance, but they could show him something else and something that he wanted more than that physical healing. They could show him Jesus. Um, so I just want to like kind of encourage you guys. Um, yeah, like it's the way that we live for Jesus that counts. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to touch briefly on a verse in Romans, which I'm sure most of you all know, which is Romans 12 too. Uh, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and I wanted to bring two things out of that. And the first thing is that it says, be transformed. Um, and I wanted to highlight that that's not something you need to strive for. Like, that's something that will happen naturally as you're spending time with Jesus. Um, it's not nothing you can do in your own strength. Like, you can't change your own fleshy patterns of thinking in your own strength. Like, you need Jesus to do that. Um, you can't do it by yourself. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to highlight actually like the way that you're going to be transformed, the way that you're going to start living differently and looking differently and sounding differently is when you're spending time with Jesus, like when you're spending time in his presence. Um, and like someone once told me, and I think this is super true, like you become like who you hang out with, like you, you guys are all going to have bits of your friends in you, like you're going to become like them, like my friend Wee's on the front row, like we literally say the same thing half of the time because we spend so much time together. Um, and, like, it's the same with Jesus. Like, if you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to start sounding like Jesus and you're going to pick up things from Jesus. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys, like, spend time in his presence. Like, be, be in your word, be reading it. Um, spend time in prayer because the more time you spend with him, like, the more you're going to start looking like him and that's how you'll be transformed in here and that's how your actions will be transformed. Um, and the second thing I wanted to draw out of that was, it says don't conform to the pattern of this world. Like, we are called to be different. Like, you're not called to fit in and to look the same as everybody else. And I think we try so hard to look the same as everybody else and to act the same and like, oh, you know, oh, I, I won't do that because then they'll think I'm a Christian. I'm a bit weird. Like, no, like, Jesus calls you to be different. Like, he doesn't want you to look the same as everybody else. Like, he wants you to look so different. I think in this verse it says, how, if, it, if you lose your saltiness, how can you be made salty again? And I was thinking, like, what does it mean, like, to lose your saltiness? Because if you're salt and you're not salty, I was like, like, what is that? Like, you can't, you don't notice that. You're not going to taste it. Like, if I put salt on my dinner and it's not salty, I'm not going to notice it. And I feel like God is saying, like, when people don't notice you, like, when they don't notice that there's a difference in you, like, you've lost your saltiness. Um, and I think he just kind of wanted to, like, he challenges me on it all the time, like, like, look different. Like, people need to see a difference. Like, you can't just go along and try and fit in with your peers and your colleagues and everyone around you. Um, so I think, yeah, that's just something that I wanted to kind of challenge you guys on. Like, God is challenging me on it. I sure haven't got it perfect um, at all. Um, but, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about that a little. Um, and I just kind of wanted to round off with this verse in James. So it's James 2.18. Um, actually, a bit before. 
James 2.14. Um, and it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You will believe that there is one good, one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. Um, and like, I was just reading this, and like, like James just says it perfectly, like, it's no good believing in God and it not shaping how you live and changing how you live. Like, that doesn't do anything. Like, it, it doesn't. Like, he says, you believe that there's one God, good. It doesn't matter. Like, if you believe there's God and you're not living for Jesus, like, it does not matter at all. Like, the devil believes that there's God. Like, demons believe that there's God. If it's not shaping how you live and it's not shaping how you treat people and, like, your understanding of the world, like, what's the point? Like, what's the point in coming to church if you believe in God but it doesn't change how you live? There's none. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to like encourage you guys. It's it's not enough to believe in God. Like you can't just believe in God and get into heaven. Like that's not it. Like you need to believe in God and let it transform you. Like let Him transform you. Like you need to just spend time in His presence, and you'll have such a love for Him, and it will change you. Um, and like that's what He wants. Like He wants that relationship with you. He wants it to be a a reciprocal thing where you believe in Him, and because of your belief in Him, you have such a love for Him. Um, that you just want to live exactly as this word says. Because if you believe in him, you're going to believe every single thing in this book. And, like, when you believe that, like, you're going to want to follow it. Um, so, yeah, I think God just really wanted, like, to encourage all of us. Like, life is so much richer when we live it for him. Um, like, when we spend time with him, like, that's when we start to become, like, the person of Jesus and... That's, that's how we're going to touch people and that's how we're going to make a difference. Um, and I think, yeah, like my encouragement to all of you guys today is just look at your lives and like how are you living differently? How do you stand out from the people around you? How does the fact that you believe in Jesus, how has that changed your life? Like how do you look different now to before you knew God? Like what would your life look like right now if you didn't know God? If it would look the same, go to God and like that needs changing. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to encourage you guys, like, Jesus calls you to be salt, like, he calls you to be different, um, and he sees such worth in you, and that's why he calls you to be different. So yeah. <laughs> Terrific. That was the first time she spoke on a Sunday. Let's give her a memorable experience right now. Well done, it's so good. So good. Would you pray for us? Would you pray that that truth will be something we'll all live out this week? Thank yeah, you. Dear Jesus, um, thank you so, so much that we can gather together this Sunday. Um, and thank you for this community and for this fellowship. Um, and I just pray for all of those people in this room that know you, even the people that don't know you, Father. I pray um, that you just give us a fresh love for you, God, and out of that love, um, we just have such a desire to be obedient to you, Father, um, and to live in a way that, that you command and that you show to us consistently throughout the gospel. Um, yeah, and I just pray that we just have such a fresh like awakening and desire in our hearts and that you'd give us um, joy and motivation to do this, Jesus, um, that you challenge us and that you'd highlight things where actually we can change and that we can be different. 
Um, I pray we just take such pride um, in being able to be the salt and being able to live for you, Father. I pray that is where we'd find our purpose and that's where we'd find our worth. Um, And yeah, I just thank you for everybody in here. I pray that you bless us and you empower us to do this, Jesus. In your name, amen. 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 Well done, Sophie. Come on, let's give her another round of applause. Well done to you. Terrific. Terrific. Well, we now um, have privilege of welcoming Ruben Van Heerden to the stage. Ruben um, moved across to the UK just a few months ago from South Africa. He plays for Exeter Chiefs and um, he's got a massive heart for the Lord. So would you give him a big welcome as he comes to speak to us today? Ruben. Amen. Amen. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, to start off, uh, just thank you for the opportunity to to share a message that I have had on my heart for the last few weeks. Um, and it's really something that I can see God wants to share with everyone because there's parts of uh, my message that Sophie already spoke about, Sean spoke about this morning. Um, and I don't even know, it's I don't even know, it's Remembrance Day today, probably my South African ignorance towards UK uh, holidays and customs, um, but it, it really fits in well with the message that I want to bring today. Um, the title of my message is The Believer's Arsenal, and uh, yes, yes, and we spoke a lot about, we spoke a lot about war this morning, um, and I just want to talk about the spiritual war, the spiritual war. I was actually, while well, I'm finding this, I was actually uh, thinking about buying an Arsenal shirt and wearing it today. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. Praise, praise God, praise God. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it, but the Liverpool supporter in me was, was saying, yeah, really yeah, Liverpool, it's public. You'll never walk alone, it's biblical. Yeah. All right. Um, an Arsenal, let's start off with that. What is an Arsenal? A collection of weapons and military equipment. And I think we all know that as believers, we have so many weapons, you know, that the Holy Spirit has given us. But I don't think a lot of us really use it. We don't really know how to tap into it. We say, you know, trust God, you know. But what does that look like? So um, just on the topic of war, One major part of war is knowing your enemy. And, uh, you know, if I have to take it to rugby, every week at at Exeter Chiefs, when we come in on a Monday morning and uh, we're in the meeting room and we have to, you know, put together a game plan. We call it a battle plan at the Chiefs. Uh, Very fitting. And um, what we do is we look at the opposition's strengths we look at traditionally what they are like. So if you're playing against Holoquins, you know, traditionally they're a team that likes to keep the ball alive, they like to throw it around. Uh, running rugby, champagne rugby, pretty nice to watch. Very difficult to defend. Um, when you're playing Saracens, you know, you're going to have strong set piece, you know, you're going to have a team that kicks a lot. And I think as believers, our enemy traditionally has one major weapon that he tries to to raise against us 
and that weapon has been something that I've been having to fight over the last few weeks, and maybe if there's time, six minutes and 50 seconds, little as much when God is in it. All right, uh, if there's time, I can maybe share my testimony. Um, but the enemy attacks us with fear, thoughts of anxiety, and thoughts of insecurity. And why does he do this? Because most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And your life will always go in the direction of your most dominant thought. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, so if we can maybe put on 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. I don't know if we have it here. Yeah. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Sean mentioned it this morning. He said, what is holding you back? What stronghold is holding you back from making room for God? And it's very simple. You have to identify the stronghold, yeah. the lie. And you have to replace it with a truth. Yeah. A scriptural truth. Amen. Sophie mentioned renewing your mind. Now, as I was preparing for the message, just thinking, replacing a lie with the truth. What does the Bible say? Who is our enemy? The father of lies. But who is Jesus? He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. So you, pray, you are replacing a lie. You're replacing Satan with Jesus. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. My question today is, if your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? I think that's something we can all think about. We have to take control of our minds and we have to take it captive. So if you mentioned, if we can put on Romans 12, verse 2 again, <laughs> same scripture. Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. Now, Sophie so brilliantly mentioned that you can't do it in your own power. You have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God. What does that look like? What does renewing your mind look like? And we touched on it as replacing old negative patterns of thinking and replacing it with truths. Amen. And I don't know if you know, but you can actually change neural pathways in your mind yeah. by the way you think. Yeah. So just, just a bit of a testimony to, to, to tell you. So the last few weeks I've been struggling with, with something with fear, the enemy has tried to plant fear in my mind. Um, something really big and rapid at the moment is concussions. And uh, as someone that has had about four or five concussions, um, it's not something that you want to get, get again. You know what I mean? Play high contact sports. And uh, you see your mates, you see mates retire because of multiple concussions. You, see, you read it in the news, you see it everywhere. It's quite a big thing now in rugby. And uh, that's something I've really struggled with. 
And we're playing Harlequins. I got a big knock on the head. You get that deja vu feeling. It's a, it's a feeling that you, that is, you know, goes hand in hand with concussion. And then in that moment, you're on the floor and you, you just get that deja vu feeling. You stand up, you're thinking, oh gosh, do I have concussion now? Immediately looking at the line outs on your hand, you're thinking, okay, I still know the line outs. And you're thinking, oh, but immediately this, this feeling of anxiousness comes over you and, you know, you, you don't know what to do. And uh, since that game, just started feeling like anxious about getting more knocks and so on. And I spoke to my dad about it. Um, and he said to me, Ruben, well, you gotta, you got to up the ante, you got to up the warfare. He said to me, Ruben, you got to start fasting on your off days. You've got to start spending time with God. And you got to start replacing fears and lies with truth. And uh, well, that's exactly what I started doing. So every time, every single time, I'll get a, a thought of fear. Ruben, you're going to get another knock. You're going to get another concussion. I'll go on my knees and I'll say, I absolutely rebuke these thoughts. I reject it in the name of Jesus Christ, the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the name that is above all other names. My God is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I will remember the name of the Lord. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. And I replace it with biblical truth. If insecurity comes into my mind, I say I rebuke and reject it in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These, and this is what I've been doing, just trying to fill my mind with truth and this spiritual warfare. <sighs> if we can put on Ephesians 6 verse 10, just find it, you know, Bible. It's all about, do you have it here? Yeah. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belts of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's our weapon. And church, if we do not know the Word of God, we are going into a war without our sword. We are going into a war. You're going to a, a gunfight with a knife. The Bible reminds me, the Bible says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Knowledge regarding what? The Word. So I want to encourage you, church, this morning, 
Let's replace every lie with the truth. Let's pick up our sword. And let's go into the spiritual fight. One last thing just to, to finish off with is uh, Philippians 4 verse 6 to 9. We're talking about thoughts and you know, just changing the pattern and renewing our minds. So what, what should we think about as believers? This is Philippians 4 verse 6 to 9. Don't worry about anything. You know, the Bible says in 365 times in the Bible, that's once for every day of the year, you should not fear. Just side notes. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him. Gratitude is another massive weapon. Gratitude is another massive weapon. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things. I think in another translation it says meditate. Constantly just thinking about it, praying about it, saying, I'm the head and not the tail. God is for me. Who can be against me? Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Church, if you don't mind me, just praying that we will pick up our swords because every day is a battle, whether we know it or not. You can't go into a gunfight with a knife. Right. Father God, I thank you, Father, for this opportunity just to share your word, Lord God, and share something that has been on my heart for quite some time, Lord God. And Lord God, your word says we're two or more gathered, Father God, there you are. We thank you for your presence in this morning, Jesus. Father God, I pray, Father, that you will lead us, Holy Spirit, yes. and guide us as we take every single thought captive in the obedience of you. We absolutely rebuke and reject anything that tries to raise itself up against the knowledge of you, Jesus. Father God, thank you for who we are in you, Lord God. I rebuke insecurity. I rebuke fear and anxiety in this place this morning. Help us to raise up our sword, your word, and in faith, raise our shield, Lord God, as we run into this fight with boldness. You have not called us, Father, to be weak, jelly, backbone Christians, God. You've called us, Father God, to fight aggressively, not carnally like this world, Lord God, but to raise up our weapons and to use the weapons in our arsenal in this spiritual fight that we fight every single day, Lord God. Thank you for your truth, the truth that sets free. Your word is the truth, God. Fill us with it, Lord God. Lead and guide us, Father God. We pray for wisdom, insights, understanding, and discernment, Lord Jesus Christ, in all that we do. And may you be glorified and your perfect will be done in your kingdom come in our lives today and forevermore, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Terrific, Ruben. Thank you so much. That was really, really precious, wasn't it? Ruben's getting married in a few weeks' time as well back in South Africa. So 
God's blessing upon that special union. Bless you. Well, it's not um, the fault of those speaking. It's my fault that we handed over too late for them today. But we have a third speaker. And I'm going to ask, are you okay to hold on for just a little bit beyond our normal finishing time of 11? Even, you know, I know they prepare coffees and stuff. But if you could just hold on, because I know you're going to love this next speaker that um, God is going to speak through. Um, already we feel we've feasted, but uh, Rich Miles is, has led churches in the past. Um, he's uh, birthing this new ministry of City Fathers, and uh, he's an accountant for a Christian charity. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> but God is working through this man in such a special way, and it's a real joy to invite you to come and speak to us this morning. Thank you, Rich. Just give him a welcome. Thank you, Mark, for those uh, kind words, and uh, morning, Rediscover Church. The question, what difference would it have made if Jesus had chosen women to be his disciples rather than men? Have you ever thought about that? Well, I've been musing over it, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And I thought maybe there'd be a little less of the ego, a little less of, well, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be top dog? Who's going to sit? at the right hand or the left hand of the throne. Some of the women of him were, I mean, made any difference at all. Maybe there'd been less of calling down fire on people who wouldn't listen. Or maybe there'd been less of, we'd better stop them healing in Jesus' name uh, because they haven't done our training course. I think maybe there might have been more listening. More listening and understanding. You know when Jesus uh, came to be arrested the disciples were completely shocked, even though Jesus has told them again and again that that was what was going to happen. I just want to share a few thoughts about a lady who was a real listener. She loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and take in every word. And I kind of think that maybe if Jesus had chosen women, this lady may have been one of those women that he chose. I don't know. But I want us to look at an instance in Mark uh, chapter 14. The same instances, uh, event is described in uh, John chapter 12, and I'll just be uh, referring to that, uh, taking one or two thoughts from that, though we won't look at that scripture. But we find in uh, Mark chapter 14, we find an event which is going on just two days. Uh, here we have two days before Jesus was due to be arrested. And he knows what's coming. The disciples are unaware. But I think Mary, I think Mary knew what was coming as we see these events unfold. Jesus was in Bethany. Uh, he was at the house of a guy called Simon the leper, not still a leper as he couldn't have had people in his home, someone that Jesus had healed. There was only one person healing lepers and that was Jesus. Also there was Lazarus who Jesus had raised from the dead. And there was Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus. He's amongst friends. They're having a meal, the disciples there too. Maybe it's the last time that he had a meal with friends in an environment that was uh, welcoming and warm, a fellowship, and uh, before he stepped into the hostility of what he was about to face. And in the culture of the day, everyone's in their place. The men are reclining and enjoying food. Martha and maybe some other women were serving um, and, uh, uh, in the kitchen. I'm not saying that's right today, I'm just saying the culture of the day. Uh, and 
but where's Mary? Now, Mary was usually at Jesus' feet. Mary is usually there listening, but where's Mary? Ha, ah, here's Mary. If we go on a couple of verses, you follow. It'd be great to get the whole thing on the screen at one time if that's possible, but if not, don't worry. Mary's wandering into the room, and Mary's got that jar, the jar of perfume. And I say the jar because it's not a 20-pound duty-free jar. This is a 20,000-pound jar, not this one. Uh, I wouldn't be allowed to bring it here, especially on my bike. This is a 20,000 jar of perfume. This is the sort of thing that was bought sometimes by families, if they could afford it, and passed down from generation to generation as part of their inheritance. This was no ordinary jar. And Mary's got it. Now, don't doubt she's only going to use a drop or two. It was a pint. The bulb on this vase is about a pint. And she makes a beeline for Jesus. And as she gets to Jesus, she doesn't use a drop or two. She breaks the top off and she pours it, all of it, onto Jesus. Now, I don't know if you ever poured a pint out, but a pint of thick, treacle-like liquid, nard from India, took a while to come out. And the chap in the room stopped. You could hear a pin drop. You could see the eyes pop as this woman poured out 20,000 pounds worth of perfume onto Jesus. A pint is a lot of liquid. It didn't just stay on his head. It came down maybe on his face, on his beard, on his hair, on his clothes, on the couch, onto the floor. And it wasn't long before the silence changed to what we used to call in our house. We had a rule in our house, no grutter grumbling. I don't know why we called it grutter grumbling, but any time there was any negative, no grutter grumbling. But here in the home, in Simon's home in Bethany, the grutter grumbling started. What a waste. What about the cost? What about the poor? What about something we could have done with this uh, ointment, with the money that we could have made from this ointment? And they begin to, not uh, physically, but verbally attack Mary and say, it was a waste. You shouldn't have done that. Jesus has another take on it. What does Jesus say to Mary? or to the, to the guys around initially, he says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. And he begins to defend her, and he begins to describe uh, what she has done. And uh, he says that she has done a good thing. She's done a good thing. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in preparation for burial. You see, I think... I don't know for certain, but I think Mary understood, uh, not in detail, but she understood what was coming. She couldn't stop him being arrested. She couldn't stop Jesus' suffering. She couldn't stop the crucifixion, but she could do this act of kindness to Jesus before he was arrested. I'll ask you another question. Who wants to hear from God? Yeah. We do, don't we? Mary wanted to hear from God, and she heard, and she responded to this prompting. I just want to say very, very quickly, and I will be quick, four things about this. The first thing is that if we want to hear from God, if we want to enjoy a pattern of hearing from God in our lives, we need to grow a habit 
and a pattern of listening to God and to respond, responding to what he says. If we want to hear, we need to have a pattern of listening and responding. The second thing is this, that when we respond, say we're talking about salt and light and being, uh, salt rather, and being different. When we respond to what Jesus says, there's a couple of things that it may uh, result in. The first one is that there might be a cost to it. Might not be 20,000 pounds. Might be a cost to our reputation. Might cost us in our time. It might cost us in our pride or our prejudice. It might cost us in all sorts of different ways. But so often, responding to God, there is a cost. And the third thing is another result of responding to Jesus uh, is that sometimes people will misunderstand. People will look at what you do and not get it. And there may be hostility. There may be opposition. Do you still want to hear from Jesus? A few still want to hear from Jesus, that's good. Because the fourth thing I want to say about hearing from Jesus and responding is that Jesus gets it. He gets it. Jesus' life was 30 years of listening and hearing and responding. Did it cost him? You bet it cost him. Did he know hostility or opposition and misunderstanding? He did. Why did he do it? He did it because father and son had a relationship of trust and honor, and they were partnering. Once talked, uh, heard someone talk about a father and son business. They were partnering in the gospel. They were partnering uh, in bringing salvation to mankind. They were partnering uh, in the, the, the redeeming of all things and making all things new on the earth. Why did we respond? Because we've been bought brought into the father and son business and we're in the business now not our business God's business of bringing life and health uh, to those around us and that's why we seek to listen now just as I close I just want us to do something um, and you may find closing your eyes makes that easier and helps you um, but is there anything that you feel God has been prompting you to do and you've not responded and done it yet. And it may be because you're a fearful opposite, maybe all sorts of things. What might it be? It might be to pray for someone. It might be to show an act of kindness or generosity. It might be to be hospitable, invite someone to your home. It may be to get involved. It may be all sorts of different things. But is there something that is in your heart and your mind, a little prompt, a little dig, a little something that you just have been maybe resisting? And just in the quietness, in a few moments, as you think about that, say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to being salt. Say yes to stepping out, whatever the cost of that might be. So just a few moments quiet, and I hand back to Mark. So Jesus, we ask this week that we will, emboldened by your presence, value on our life, emboldened by a sense of being prepared to stand out, that we will be obedient to those things you're asking of us.
In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Well, are you ready? Yeah. Are you not comfortable, but are you ready to hear the word of God speaking and ministering to your spirit? So I'm going to introduce each of them individually. Uh, so our first speaker this morning is Gareth. Gareth Salisbury. Gareth. Gareth is joint CEO of the YMCA in the city who do a fantastic ministry and a great work and is here with his beautiful family. Gareth, we're so blessed by you being part of the church. And I'm going to give you the mic and I'm going to press the timer. There you are. Not, not started yet, Mark. There you go. Oh, we're on the clock already. <laughs> Good morning, Rediscover. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, as Mark said, I'm Gareth, married to the beautiful Rachel here. We've got three lovely young boys, the two boisterous blondes that run around every, every week. That's ours, so sorry about that. Um, I wanted to share with you a little story from the Bible that really spoke to me as I was a, a young, exploring Christian. Someone in my, I was about 23, didn't know God. Uh, and exploring the Bible, exploring the story, something that's really spoke to me. Um, we're going to look, uh, a brief look at a nameless character from the Bible. Now, there's hundreds of, of examples scattered through the Bible of people that aren't named. You've got uh, Noah's wife, and she was pretty important. We wouldn't be here without her. We've got the three kings. Um, and we've also got Pharaoh's daughter, who... Um, rescued Moses from the reeds, but we don't know their names. Now, there's actually two we're going to talk about this morning. Everyone heard of the thief on the cross? Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about the thieves on the cross because we don't often mention the other guy. So, if I can have the text up, that'd be super helpful, please. And we're in Luke 23. I'll just read that to you. So, at this, this point in the story, Jesus is walking up to, to be crucified. Uh, he's been given over by Pilate to the crowds. He's going, going up to, to Calvary to be crucified. And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they not know what they are doing. And they cast lots of, to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers are mocking him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, who was hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked that criminal saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we're just going to very quickly look at both of those responses. Now firstly, the other guy, the one we never speak about. Now, he was swept up with the crowd. He was uh, influenced by the people around him. He didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. He was mocking. He was, um, he was possibly afraid to speak his own mind. Maybe he did believe who Jesus was, but he was afraid of what the crowd around him was going to do. Then the thief that we do know about. 
Now, firstly, if you notice back in that story, he says he was receiving his due reward. Now, crucifixion, you probably know, was one of the most horrific ways to die. I worked in the, the criminal justice system for a, probably about five years, my work at the YMCA, and in that time, I don't think I ever met a criminal that said, I'm getting what I deserve. They might have said, yes, I did the crime, but what I've, deserved, what I've received is not what I think I deserve. So this is very interesting. He says this. He, he knows who he is. Now, he also believed that Jesus was the king of the Jews. He believed that inscription above his head. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not just remember me, your kingdom. He knew there was a kingdom, not on this earth, somewhere else that he could participate in. Now, I think there's a direct correlation between these two mindsets that reflects our outlook on Jesus sometimes. I think we've all, I certainly have been, swept up with the crowd and afraid to actually declare who Jesus really is. Very easy to say, no, he, he couldn't do that. And equally, we can be on the other side and completely believe every single word he said and believe that hope that he gives us. So let's look at Jesus' response really quickly. The, the guy we don't speak about, the mocker, there's no response registered within the Bible. There's nothing in there, completely ignored. He didn't even rebuke back or try and convince him. But let's look at the response back to the other, the other guy. It's not just a, I will remember you, but it was today. He knew it was happening today. You will be with me within my kingdom. Nine words is all it took that guy to reach salvation. He didn't have to attend church every week. He didn't have to go on a bunch of courses. He didn't have to learn how to preach. He simply said, Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. Now, that grace is phenomenal and on offer to every single person here today, everyone out on the street. So have you made that choice? Do you want Jesus to remember you in his kingdom? So which mindset are you going to choose today? Will you let, which one are you going to let triumph? Will we allow ourselves to get caught up with the crowds taunting, mocking and dismissing Jesus? There's plenty of them out there. Or will you accept who you are? Ultimately, a sinner. It's hard to say it. Will you recognize the wrong in your life? But will you recognize that there's someone who's paid the price for all of that wrong? There's not a single thing that you've done that can't be put on Jesus. It's already gone. Full payment for your sin, our due reward. That's what the, the, prison, the thief was saying, his due reward. Our due reward has been put on him already. So will you accept that? I'm just going to pray for us, if that's okay. Yeah, Jesus, we are just blown away by what you achieved on the cross. Uh, as I looked at it as a, a young 23-year-old thinking, I've missed the boat on this. I was blown away by this story because there's a, a man there who simply believed you were who you said you were. So Lord, I pray that you would convict us to continually believe who you say you are and that you would help us to trust you with our, with our lives, that you would help us to put our uh, faith in you to not be swayed by this world and those around us. 
but that we'd be ultimately uh, trusting in you with all things. And for those people in this room that don't know you, I pray today that they would trust you, that they would want to, to be remembered in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give it a soap. Whoa. I've got two minutes left. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. Come on, let's give Gareth another thank you. Well done. Amazing. Well, you've already been greatly blessed by that, but one of the privileges of pastoral ministry is that you're often involved in various things in people's lives. You see them when they first meet their wife or their dreams, or you, you, sometimes you see them when they go through difficulties in their life. Well, the next person is going to speak. Um, I can honestly say that there's really no one else in the church that I've experienced as many significant points in my life with, because uh, he's my son. And so I was there... <laughs> So I was there right at the very beginning of his introduction to the world, and I'd like you to put your hands together for Luke, who's going to come and speak. Yo, my people, what's good? What's good? Some of you are freaking out right now. You've not heard a preacher start like that, but I'm going to be speaking on prayer today. Um, I got told I had 10 minutes, so I picked a topic which you could speak on for months. <laughs> but what is prayer? See, prayer is described in the Bible as seeking God's favor, pleading or wrestling with God, pouring out one's soul to the Lord, crying out to heaven, drawing near to God, and kneeling before the Father. Now, it all sounds really nice, doesn't it? But ultimately, prayer is one thing, and that's speaking to your Father. I think a lot of the time we fail to understand the importance of prayer, so I'll try and simplify it. I know this is a bit corny, but bear with me. Imagine you're a child and your dad is Superman, and he says to you, if you believe in me, come to me anytime you need help, and I will help you. See, prayer is just like that. In fact, prayer is so much better than that, because the God we serve is so much better than Superman. He created the universe. He created you. He created everyone in it. So what are our problems to him? In John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it shall be done with you, for you. Like, what a promise. Does it get much better than that? A God who can do anything, telling us to ask him for anything we need. Why then do we find ourselves not praying? Why can we go through a whole day stressing about something and not give it to God in prayer? Why are the churches so full on a Sunday, but prayer meetings are so empty? See, prayer gatherings are so fruitful. If you want to start going to the gym or start running, you grab a friend, you grab a partner, you go there with them. If I'm in a gym with my bro, my bro knows how much I bench. If I start picking up 20 kgs, he's going to put more weight on because that's not what I bench. See, I've got a prayer partner and he knows the energy I bring when I pray. He knows how I pray. But, oh God, you to, like, he's going to tell me, shut up, pray properly. See, we're living in a generation that would rather give 10% of our wages than 10% of our time in prayer. But prayer is tricky. It is really tricky. And it's tricky because we're dying to self. We are surrendering to God. We're acknowledging that we are helpless without him. We need him. And our flesh doesn't like that. But it might be a little bit because we don't fully understand the power of prayer. 
So let's look into it. Why do we pray? I mean, from what I just said, it seems like a bit of a stupid question, really. But the reason we pray about things... <laughs> sorry. I've heard it said before that anyone who walked this earth, if they had a reason not to pray, it would have been Jesus. Yet we see him time and time again praying for stuff. In fact, we see him waking up early to pray and staying up through the night to pray. Why aren't we doing that? In Mark 1.35, it says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. And in Luke 6.12, it says, at this time that he went off, he went to the mountains to pray, and he spent the whole night praying to God. Do you know, we can make excuses in our head. Life's too busy to pray. Yeah, life is busy. But if someone was writing a book on 33 years of our lives, I doubt it would be anything like Jesus's, anything like the gospel. And do you know, I recently read a question in a book that really challenged me. If your faith cannot break sleeping patterns, is it really a strong faith? Wow. Don't put your hand up, but who else has done this before? You get to bed at the end of the day and you're scrolling on social media or doing whatever you do and then you think, oh, I haven't prayed yet. Oh, it's too late to really pray properly. Like, it's so good we serve a gracious God, isn't it? But at this point, it's not about how God feels about whether you've prayed or not. Are you benefiting yourselves? Are you really benefiting yourselves? What are you gaining from scrolling, from playing that game, from watching that TV show, from reading that worldly book? What are you gaining from it when you could be changing your lives or the lives of other people? See, I don't think we give prayer enough credit. Like, we lose our keys, we pray to God, and we, and we find him and we thank him. No, that's not what prayer is about. See, most of you are sat in this room today because of prayer. Because there's prayer warriors warring for people's salvations, for people's lives, even people they do not know. And I thank you, Mom, because I'm certainly here because of your prayers. Why do we pray? Why do we pray if God looks after us already? See, the answer is God has given us a power and we need to use it. Now imagine you're a child again. I'm taking you a lot back to your childhood. But imagine you're a child again and your parent says to you, oh, do you want to make a cake? Do you want to make a cake? See, you don't know how to make a cake. You don't know what ingredients to use, how the oven works. But they're not going to make that cake without you. They need you to make that cake. Prayer is like that. That's like the relationship with God with prayer. He knows what we need. He knows how to do it, yet he requires us to be a part of that process. We can't sit down our whole lives and expect God to do his will in it. In Daniel 10, we see a glimpse of the power of prayer and how it can really shift things in the spiritual realm. See, Daniel is praying and fasting for three weeks for his nation. I, I struggle to pray 30 minutes for my own life, yet alone fasting and praying three weeks for my nation. Our nation can really use it as well. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and it says, Do not be afraid, Daniel. S since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humbled yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But something weird happened. It says, The prince of Persian uh, resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael came, one of the chief princes, and came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. That's weird, isn't it? 
Spiritual warfare. Our prayers set off things in the spiritual realm that affect the physical realm. Understand the power of your prayers, people. Like, our prayers are not about finding our keys. Yeah, it's helpful, but we're called to pray for our nation. If your prayers were answered right now, would it have changed the world? I've already prayed about it. Yes, we should trust in God that he answers our prayers, but we should also war with our prayer requests. In Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, we see him repeating his petition to God three times whilst his disciples are sleeping. Matthew 26, 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Now, you would think that if, Jesus, if, anyone was listening, if God was listening to anyone's prayers right then, he would have been listening to Jesus. But even he goes away three times and repeats his prayers. So why do we feel like, oh God, help me with this. That's gonna, like, yeah, trust that God will answer your prayers. But we need to war for our prayer requests. Again, we see it in, Elijah, in, the, about, in First Kings about Elijah. See, seven times he tells his servant to go and look for signs of rain. And each time he tells his servant, we see a faith in him that is going to rain. But we also see he doesn't get up and go and check if it rains because he's on his knees and he's praying till it happens. Now, I've discussed why we should pray, what is prayer, and how do we pray. See, prayer is so beautiful because it's unique to each person. It's about building a relationship with God. Do you know, sometimes it can just be crying on the Lord's name for help. And sometimes it can be warring for hours. But anyone can pray to God, no matter where you're at in life. See, we serve a God that wants to help you and he wants to see you doing well. But there is a guarantee that your prayers are going to be answered. So come find me after the service. Give me a little donation and God will answer your prayers. No, I'm only joking. Don't worry, don't worry. The, the, the biblical list on why our prayers are answered. So number one, repentance. Are you living in sin? Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Number two, do we have faith? Are we really believing that our prayers will be answered? Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. What's our motive? James 4, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you will spend it on your own pleasures. Number four, praying in Jesus' name and abiding with him. Do you ever look around and think, these crazy Christians are always praying in Jesus' name? No, there's a reason to that. John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And lastly, God's will. Are we praying God's will? 1 John 5, verse 14 to 15, if we ask anything according to his will and he listens to what he listens to us and if we know that he listens to us whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions which we have asked him see some of you are probably a bit put off by that list don't be it's, it's actually really simple if we go back over those things it's repent have faith pray in Jesus's name and abide in him and pray with a godly motive according to God's will it's not hard but if that list still scares you that's okay do you know, we serve such a gracious God who knows the journey we go through finding him. 
when I was away from God and I was first coming back to him, I'd even prayed prayers high off my face that God had still answered. Don't worry, that's a testimony, not a requirement. But, <laughs> but guys, if you take anything away from this, know that your prayers have power. Try praying. And if you're already praying, commit to God and really believe in what you're praying. Thank you for listening. I went a bit over. Well done. Luke, would you pray for us? Would you open your hearts? Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that one with a thriving, craving prayer life? Pray for us, Luke, would you? God, stir something in us. Rediscover church right now. God, may we change nations. May we change the spiritual realm, God. Anoint us. Anoint our lips, God. Bring us to a place of frequent prayer. Help us to really believe in what we're saying. Help us to trust in you, Lord. And help us to take an active part in this war that is life. God, raise up Elijah's in this nation. Raise up people who are going to shift things with their prayers. Yes. Do not let us fall into lukewarmness with our prayers. Let us pray with an energy and a faith that you will do what we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well done. Well done, mate. Cool. Fantastic. Well, we've already feel like we've feasted and we've been provoked and stirred by the Spirit of God, but we've got one more to go. And this precious young lady, Odira, she's a student at Exeter University. Come and join us. Odira is also um, president of Numa Society, which is a great ministry on campus among students. And it's a great joy to hear from you now. So come on, let's give another welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, church. It's so lovely to see your faces. Like Pastor Mark said, my name is Odira. Uh, just a little bit about me. I am originally from London, East London. Shout out East London. Um, I, <laughs> I'm from Nigeria as well. That's my home. Um, and I moved here like about five years ago now to study medicine. So that's why I'm here speaking to you uh, right now. Um, so I have the privilege of speaking to you uh, for the next ten, nine minutes and 35 seconds about, <laughs> about something I feel like God has really placed on my heart. And I actually prepared something completely different when Pastor Mark asked me to speak. Um, but it was about a couple of Sundays ago, or last Sunday, that Pastor Mark asked um, about our testimonies. And I shared about peace. And while I was preparing my other talk... I just couldn't shake that word from my mind. I just kept hearing peace, 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 peace. And I said, okay, God, I'll talk about peace then. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. Uh, if we turn to John 14, 27, and it will come up on the screen as well, I'll give you some context. So we're nearing the end of the gospel of John here. Um, and Jesus has just laid down his life for his friend. He has just raised Lazarus from the, death, um, from the dead, which um, alerted the Jewish leaders and gave them a reason to arrest him. Um, so he's entered a time of preparing his disciples for his death, preparing his disciples for him to leave. Um, and this is what he says. He says to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So what is peace? Jesus straight away in this, in this verse um, alludes to there being at least two types of peace, right? A worldly peace and a godly peace. So let's talk about worldly peace. 
The world gives us a piece that's, I call it a faux piece, a fake piece. It gives us a piece that is there as long as that is there. It gives us a piece in the form of handshakes and contracts and materialistic things like our house, a roof over our heads and cars and whatnot. And that's the, that's the piece that the world gives us, right? And that can all be nice and very cozy and comfortable, but it's not the piece that God intended. He says to us, I do not give you peace as the world gives. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Because God is not into limited stuff. He's not in the business of limitations. He says he's into past, present, and future. He's into once and for all. So he doesn't give you a peace that goes as soon as he's gone. Because he's always there. He says, I give you a peace that's here because I am always there. I give you a peace that you can trust in because when I was spat on, when I was ridiculed, when I was hung, when I was pierced, I thought of you. And I just didn't, I didn't do it for effect or to prove the hate is wrong. Haha, ha, you Pharisees, look at me now. No, he did it so that you could have everlasting life. And with that comes peace. That peace that transcends all understanding. So how do we gain this peace? When I uh, think of the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's funny that Luke brought it up as well. Um, it's so easy to look at that story and think of it as one of like just great anguish of pain and of sorrow. But I think that with that sorrow, with that pain, with the sweat that fell down like blood, I think there was also peace in that garden. Because I think that it takes a different kind of peace to be able to say, Lord, I don't want to go through this. Lord, I don't want to die. Please let this cup pass over me. But then also say in the same breath, not my will, but yours. That takes a different kind of peace. And that's the kind of peace that I want. And that's the kind of peace that I pray over his church. How do we gain this peace? We see Jesus use the greeting, peace be with you, about three times in the Bible. All three times were after his resurrection. What does that mean? It means that the true peace of God was only accessible through the death and resurrection of our Savior. So he says, peace be with you, I died for you. Peace be with you, I, res- I resurrected. But he also says, peace be with you, I'm leaving behind a helper. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. So what does that mean? It means when we are filled with the Spirit, we are filled with peace. Peace is accessible. And I really want to hone that in, that peace isn't something that's just only for Pastor Mark or for Nita. God bless you. But it's for everyone sitting here right now. It's accessible to each and every single one of you. It's accessible through me, for me. And um, during one of the APES meetings, um, I feel like I've said your name so many times, Mark, but here we go. Uh, Mark said, um, he talked about vertical receiving and horizontal um, gifting. Um, And Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with one another. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. So we know that fruit, a tree doesn't grow fruit for itself, right? So that peace isn't just for you to hold and say, oh, I've got peace. This is lovely. No, it's for other people as well. It's for the people you are sat next to right now. It's the people at your workplace. It's for your family. It's for the people you see in the streets. It's for your flatmates that are keeping the kitchen really, really dirty. I've been there. It's for them as well. It's for everyone. Church, I believe that the reason God wouldn't let me shake the word peace away is because it's something the world really, really desperately needs. But I don't think that the world will get it until the church has it. Because we can't go out into the world and proclaim the gospel of peace when we allow our own circumstances to bury us in worry, in fear, in anxiety. And please hear me, I'm not saying that what you are going through is insignificant. Not at all. What I'm saying is that we have a God that towers over every significant thing, every significant event in our life. We have a God that is bigger than that. And a God that is extending peace to us. He's saying, come, my child, take it, hold on to this. Wrap it around your heart. 
I want you to have it. I've left it for you. Take it. He's begging you to take it. I don't know what you're going through or what situation is threatened, the peace that God intended for you. Um, but I want to leave you with this story that I heard a couple of um, years ago. And I think that changed kind of my mind about peace. Um, so this story is set in 1871. It's a true story. Um, and there was a fire in Chicago. Over 300 people died. Hundreds of thousands of people were left homeless. And there was a businessman in that city who had invested so much into the city. Um, and so he suffered great financial loss through this fire. However, more than that, he lost his son about the same time. But for two years, this man, who was a Christian, kept his life devoted to God. He served the homeless. He volunteered his time. He helped those who had been affected by the fire. And after two years, he said, you know what? I think I deserve a vacation. So he went off, um, and he planned for a vacation with his family. Um, he had four daughters left and a wife. Um, but because of business, um, he got delayed. So he sent his wife and his daughters ahead. Now, what happened when they entered that ship after a while was that their ship collided with another ship. And out of the hundreds of people who were on that ship, only 47 people survived. And out of the family, his family, only his wife survived. His four daughters all drowned. They were all lost at sea. When his, his wife made it to England, she sent a telegram to her husband that said simply, saved alone. Saved alone. Church, can you imagine? You've lost your son. You wanted a vacation. You've now lost four of your daughters. Your wife saved alone. This man uh, took a ship, he went to meet his wife, and when he crossed the same spot that his daughters died at, the um, captain of the ship pointed it out to him. And now I don't know when exactly, and I don't think anyone knows exactly when these words were birthed, but he came up with, he wrote one of the greatest hymns, I'm sure you all know it, and these were the words that came. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with your soul. Not because of anything that you do. Not because of therapy. Even though therapy is great. I'm a big advocate for therapy. But not because of therapy. Not because of drugs, medicine. Not because of any of that. But because we serve a good God. We serve a God who wants you to have peace. So it is well with your soul, church. I just want to pray. Um, Lord, I just pray for peace to reign over your, your people, for peace to reign over your church, Lord Jesus. I pray for that peace that transcends all understanding, that peace that transcends all circumstances. And I thank you that we can't understand it because it means that we can't take it away. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have created, for what you have done on the cross. And I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice right now. I thank you for all of the things that they are going through, all of the troubles that stir their heart, Lord. And I just pray that peace will hold it still. Let your peace hold their hearts still, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because you are so good and you love us so much. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. 50 seconds left, yeah. That was really, really beautiful, powerful. Thank you. Come on, let's give her another round of applause. So good.